You know, one of the things that really stands out to me as a child was my Uncle Tommy. My Uncle Tommy was this big, larger-than-life kind of guy who lived in a nearby town called Vidalia, Georgia. You've probably never been to Vidalia, but you've probably eaten some sweet onions from there a time or two. My Uncle Tommy, he loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He loved collecting knives and guns. He, he loved the outdoors. But the thing that will always stick with me about my Uncle Tommy, the thing that I will remember the most about him wasn't his guns or his knives, but instead his wheelchair. You know, in rural Georgia, some of the most popular teen hangout spots there are in the summer are the creeks that are around Georgia. Uh, this, this, this place here, Briar Creek, this is a, a creek right near my home where I grew up, where my parents still live today. And all throughout Georgia and all over the south, there are creeks and rivers running. And in the summers, you can find they're just filled with teenagers every single summer's day. They're swimming, they're, hang, they're, jump, they're grabbing onto ropes on the edge, on, that are tied to trees and swinging into the water. They're jumping off the edges of bridges and diving into the water. And it was just another ordinary summer day. When my Uncle Tommy went out once again as a teenager to go swimming in a nearby creek with his friends. And he dove off the bridge that he always had time and time again. But that particular time he landed in the wrong place. And it was a little too shallow. The doctors managed to save my Uncle Tommy. But he would be a quadriplegic bound to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. One decision... One youthful decision that he made on an ordinary summer day totally changed his life. And that change brought a lot of years of pain. Physical pain and emotional pain. He was paralyzed from the chest down and he lost most of his mobility. But for all of my life, until he went home to be with God about eight years ago, what always amazed me about Tommy was that he was never depressed, never angry, never down. I mean, every time I would go hang out at his place in Vidalia, he always had a smile on his face. He was always laughing. He was always cutting up, always in the middle of a joke, whatever was happening. He always had something funny to say. That was just who he was. And it was actually strange to me as a teenager. I would go over there and I'd visit him and I would actually just wonder... What's the deal with him? I mean, why is he so happy? I mean, I would see him in this wheelchair, and I think, how come he never complains? I just couldn't get it as a teenager. Now, there was a time, because of all the medical issues my Uncle Tommy had as a result of his uh, quadriplegia, that he was told by one of his doctors, there's this new innovative surgery that is out, and we think it might help you. We think it might actually be able to reverse the damage that's been done, and give you back your mobility again. And he was so excited. He was, I remember, it was one of the things I remember as a kid, how excited he was when he found out about this surgery. He actually went to the local newspaper and he told them about it and had them write a story about him and what was going to happen in his life as a result of this surgery. But in the end, the surgery didn't work. There was no improvement And there was no hope for a second attempt. And still, Uncle Tommy's attitude, his faith, his outlook on life 
never changed. Not a bit. He's, his story is very similar to Johnny Erickson Tata, who also loved the outdoors. She became paralyzed from the shoulders down after also diving into shallow waters as a teenager, just a few summers before my Uncle Tommy did. One moment in time would bring a lifetime of pain and loss to Johnny. Physical pain, emotional pain, that was really too, it's really too great to be controlled, only managed. Now, you and I probably can't relate to this kind of trauma, right? I mean, most of us, we've never experienced anything close to what these two have. But none of us, as, as uh, Janet was just, Jeanette was sharing just a minute ago, none of us are strangers to pain, are we? I mean, we all have physical pain, we all have emotional pain that we deal with at times in our lives. One day, everything can be fine, everything can be normal. Then comes the accident, the diagnosis, the unexpected call into the boss's office, <laughs> the, the blow-up, the, the separation, the assault that you never saw coming. You know, my family in Georgia, I am so grateful. I, I've been on the phone constantly with them over this past weekend as that hurricane was blowing through. and just wanted to make sure my dad was okay. He wouldn't lose all of his crops as they were still in the field. Thankfully, um, he, he managed okay with only minor damage. But there are millions of people right now all along the southeastern United States whose lives are just thrown up in the air because of what has happened over the last two weeks. Sometimes, guys, sometimes change comes into our lives that isn't wanted and it isn't even warranted. There are changes that don't seem at least on the surface to have any remote possibility of a positive outcome. And those moments, maybe this has happened to you, maybe you've heard this, someone will come along and glibly quote Romans 8, 28, and they'll remind us that, well, all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And in that moment, maybe like what happens with me, this wave of anger just hits you, <laughs> right? And you may, either, you may either say it or you at least think it. What good, right? What good could possibly come from what I'm going through? You know, it's one thing to deal with difficult change when you see that there's a huge payoff coming in the end, when you see that things are going to turn around, when you just know that that day is coming and all, everything's going to be brought together. But what do you do in those moments when you don't see change coming for the better? When you see that this, this difficult change that's been brought into your life, that it's probably not even going to ever go away. And there's no benefit, seemingly, to what's happening in your life whatsoever. Today, we're going to look at a couple of stories like that. A couple of stories from the life of Abraham. One in Genesis 21 and one in Genesis chapter 22. One is a story of Abraham inflicting the pain of change on someone else. And the other is a story of him receiving the pain of change in his own life and dealing with it. But in both of those stories, what we're going to see is that God worked through the pain of change. Now, let's look a little bit more closely at Genesis 21. If you have your Bibles, please just follow along with me there. Turn with me there to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. So just flip a few pages in and you'll find it. You can also follow along online if you don't have your Bibles with you at mygrace.church from your web browser. 
And as you're turning there, let me just share the, the life lesson that we see from both of these stories in Genesis 21 and in Genesis 22. They're the same story, basically. And that is this. While some change doesn't make for better circumstances in our lives, they always make us better people. That's a very simple statement, but I'm going to say it again. Some change in our lives don't bring better circumstances. Some changes in our lives don't have a happily ever after bow tied on them a few weeks or a few months later. But those changes that come in our lives, regardless of how difficult they are, they can, they have the potential, if we allow them to, to always, always, always make us better people. That's true in, our, in this story we're going to be looking at today, and that's true in the story of your life and in the lives of those that you love. So are you there? Genesis chapter 21. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, as you're going to see here in these opening verses, we see that the change that Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for for so long is finally taking place. They have finally given birth to their son that they had been waiting for, this son named Isaac. And it was such a happy moment. Now, back in those days, back in ancient times, because of a, the very high mortality rate that was with, with babies in that day, they, there was a custom back in ancient times to throw a party for a baby once they were weaned off of their mother's breast. I mean, that was actually something that happened in, in cultures all over the world back in that time. And we actually see that happening here in this story with Isaac as they're throwing a party to celebrate him being weaned. Look, look at this, Genesis 21, starting in verse 8. It says, When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. Now, Hagar and young Ishmael haven't gotten along with Sarah before, if you've been tracking with us through this series, right? There's some bad blood between Sarah and, and Hagar and Hagar's son, Ishmael. Now, can you imagine when Isaac is born and all the attention turns to him, what happens? I, I bet the tensions could be cut with a knife between Hagar and Sarah. Perhaps even between Ishmael and Sarah as this icy relationship starts to form. I mean, think about how young Ishmael must have felt. Ishmael was 13 or 14 years old when Isaac was born. He was used to having his daddy's full attention. And all of a sudden, the chosen kid is now born, i.e., not me. And I'm kind of pushed aside by my dad, just as uh, Sarah has done to me. Now... As I said, Ishmael was 13 or 14 years old when Isaac was born. So by this time, by the time of this party, he's probably 16, 17 years old, right? He's probably old enough to drive the family camel around, but that's probably about it. I mean, he's still a boy. And he's laughing, or he's just making fun of his younger half-brother Isaac, who's still a baby, who's not going to be hurt or offended by this. I mean, he barely, probably doesn't even know how to talk yet. But Mama Bear comes out. In Miss Sarah. And for her, this is the last straw, right? 
one comment, one laugh from young Ishmael, and he and his mom's life are suddenly faced with a painful, unwarranted change. Look at verse 11. It says, this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, don't be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them onto Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, if you remember back from a few weeks ago, this is kind of like a replay for for Hagar from a few years earlier in chapter 16. Sarah is again getting upset with Hagar and with Ishmael this time, and she just wants them both gone. So the next day, I mean, can you imagine this scene? Abraham is strapping this backpack onto Hagar's shoulders with some food and water and just basically shooing them away. And Abraham is the guy who's responsible for all this, isn't he? He's the guy who got Hagar pregnant in the first place. She never asked for this. And all of a sudden, just because of a kid's joke, Ishmael's dad is divorcing his mom and kicking her to the curb, kicking her into the desert wilderness totally alone to fend for themselves. When you think about it, Hagar's life is a life that is just full of trouble. And it's not trouble of her own making necessarily, not all of it. All of this started with Abraham's lack of faith in Egypt and then him deciding to have a son through her. And now she's being forced into the desert because wife number one is upset. And it looks like in this story that God is in on the cruelty, right? Encouraging Abraham to do this. Why? Well, let's look at verse 14 again. It says, He sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water was gone, Hagar put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said. And she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation of his descendants. And then it says in verse 19, God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave her boy a drink. This situation, this change in life, seemed hopeless to both of them. And it wasn't even of their own doing, right? I mean, well, partly was, but it was partly to do with this broken relationship with Sarah and now with Abraham and them. I mean, this isn't God's fault. This pain, which felt like had come from a betrayal of a husband and a father, now feels to them like a place of utter hopelessness. And that moment of desperation, God shows up in their lives. And he not only shows up, but he provides. He uses a a place of painful change to make them both better people, to make them both more trusting and more hope-filled. 
There's no way, <laughs> there's no way in the beginning that Hagar or Ishmael would have chosen this. They would have thought that being handed a backpack and being issued out into the wilderness was a good change, right? Their circumstances didn't really get all that much better as a result of being there. They lived in the wilderness, the Bible says, for the rest of their lives as nomads. God did use this change at least to get them out of an abusive, contentious place and into a place of freedom. But no doubt, what we can see here is that God was with them. And he used this painful change in a single mom's life and her teenage boy to make them both better people, to make them stronger people, people able to trust God more and to be blessed by God. Now, in the next chapter, which we won't get in today, in chapter 22, Abraham is on the receiving end of painful change. I mean, in this story, he's kind of being the one partly giving it. But in chapter 2, we see something different. God calls Abraham to take his son, the, the son that he truly loves, the only son he has left by this point, and God asks him to lead his son Isaac to a mountaintop in the wilderness to die. And at the last moment, God stops Abraham and he pr provides another way out. And in that, God, in that situation, God works in Abraham's life to make him a better person, able to trust, to depend on God more than he ever has before. Guys, please hear me today. Sometimes change brings better circumstances in our lives. Sometimes we go through nasty stuff and there's a happily ever after that comes shortly after that. But that isn't guaranteed from God. But in every painful circumstance, it always has the potential to make us better people if we allow it to. That's the truth of Romans 28, 828, when it says, God works for the good of all who are called according to his purpose and love him. God doesn't cause those painful changes that are brought about by other people's choices or by those painful things that come from us living in a fallen world as we've seen with these hurricanes in the last couple of weeks. Romans isn't a guarantee that every painful change that we go through will somehow have a silver lining. But God does promise that in every painful change that life can bring, that if we stick with his call, if we seek for God's purpose in our lives, if we trust in him through those difficult times, God will make us better people. I mean, just a few paragraphs before in Romans, this is what Paul says in chapter 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Romans 5 says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us. Do you see what that verse is saying? God's telling us to embrace the painful changes that come because they will bring endurance. They'll bring perseverance. And when God uses change to stretch you, to cause you to persevere, it's character building, isn't it? And it causes hope in you to be able to, stand in, to, be able to withstand the next challenge that you might face, the next difficult change that comes into your life. I mean, there's another similar passage in James chapter 1, and it says this. 
It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. (laughs) For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James is saying here that painful changes might not look like they're doing anything, but they are. They're making us better people. That endurance created helps make us stronger, more fully developed followers of Christ. But it doesn't feel that way at the time, does it? We want, when difficult change comes into our lives, we want to find any way we can to stop it. Don't we? To, to get out of it. To help others get out of it somehow, if, if any way possible. A really good example of this is the imagery in our series. When a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. I mean, think about this for a minute. When the time comes for a newly transformed butterfly to emerge from its cocoon, we know that it faces tremendous struggle. Right? Its body is transforming. It's dangling in midair and it's turning from a walking pest into a beautiful flying insect. And in the final days of change, a lot of pain and struggle is faced by that new insect as it tries to break out of its shell that it's been wrapped in for so tightly for so long. A body that just days before was nothing but soup is now trying to push and to fight its way out of this shell. Now, what happens, guys, if someone comes along and tries to break open that shell, that cocoon, before the butterfly does it himself? What happens? It basically cripples that butterfly for life, doesn't it? It prevents it from ever being able to fly on its own. It has to go through that painful change to become the butterfly it was created to be. And if it doesn't, it will only be able to crawl around on the ground the rest of its life with a swollen body and crippled wings. What we can't really see sometimes in the midst of painful change is that the same is true with us. Escaping the pain certainly would feel better in the moment, but we'd miss out on the long-term benefits that God sees He can use to make us fully developed followers of his able to trust him more able to rely on him through whatever comes our way able to help others rely on him with whatever comes their way so we struggle and we seek after the god who understands johnny erickson tata is still alive today and she has the same amazing perspective on life that my uncle tommy once did When she first began to confront her paralysis as a teenager, she had her friends come over all the time and they were praying over her and they were encouraging her to pray and they would constantly tell her, Johnny, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for God. Just pray. God God can heal you. And as Joni walked through this stage in her life with God, the game changer for her was struggling with the difference between believing that God could heal her That God would give her the faith to heal her. And that God... Let me say that again. The, the, The game changer for her was that she would have the faith that God could heal her rather than that God would heal her. She saw that 
it would take just as much faith to believe that God would heal her spirit as it would to believe that God would heal her body. She saw that she could be a much better person through this change and in turn be used by God regardless of her circumstances. And 40 years later, Johnny is an internationally known mouth artist. (laughs) She's the author of 50 books in over 30 languages. She's an international speaker with radio broadcasts going all over the world, giving this message of hope we see today that comes through the pains of change. While still in her own life, even just in recent years, going through the pain of stage 3 breast cancer. That's been the latest challenge she's been facing. By the way, there's a great video story of what she's going through right now in your online sermon notes today at mygrace.church. Feel free to watch that video when you get home this afternoon. It will bless you. You and I will go through change at times that's going to hurt. And it's not going to be temporary. That change can make you bitter or it can make you better. I'll close with this. A few of you knew a dear woman here at Grace by the name of Sid Oppenheimer. She was a dear older lady who would join us to worship very often with her husband Jim. I can still see her coming through those double doors right now with her red stroller and her big smile. She would be here so every Sunday that she had the opportunity. Now, she and her husband Jim were a fun couple. They were sweethearts. They were married for, and knew each other for nearly 70 years. And early this summer, Sid took a pretty bad fall one day. She was banged up and she was bruised pretty severely. When I visited her in the hospital early this summer, my heart just broke. Miss Sid was such a strong woman with an incredible walk with God. And she had an impact for, for Christ that I didn't even realize until weeks later when I was at her memorial service. I remember, though, walking into the hospital to visit her that day and seeing her face. She was so frustrated. I mean, she was banged up. She was black and yellow and purple all over. And when I sat down to talk with her, she just, she just looked at me and she held my hand and she squeezed it really hard. And she just said, Pastor Dave, why? She said, I need to know why. Why is God bringing me through this? She said, she said why isn't God bringing me home? She said, Dave, I just don't understand. And I need to understand. I need to know why is God doing this to me? What I didn't know at the time was that a few years earlier she had also fallen and she had broken her hip while she was living in Pine Top. And her pastor from Pine Top visited her in the hospital and she asked her pastor that same question on that particular day. I could tell that day when she was looking at me and she was staring me in the eyes that she wasn't complaining. She was genuinely looking for an answer. She needed to know something for what she she was going through. She needed me to address her question, so I ventured to try to answer it. And I just, I looked at her in the eyes and I said, Miss Sid, all I can tell you is that God never wastes pain. He doesn't. He said, I bet you still have some lessons to learn somehow. And I bet that there are some lessons that God is expecting you to teach some others in this life while you're still here. So I said, Miss Sid, Although I would love to answer your question, why? What if we change that question today 
to a how question. What if instead of asking why, every time you started to say why, you said how to God? God, how do you want to use me today? You still have me here. You still have me in this broken shell. How do you want me to use, be used for your glory? I said, Miss what would, what would it look like if you just changed your question two degrees to how? You know, as I walked in the hospital that day, I remember walking through the parking lot, um, the, the parking garage, and I was asking God, God, what do you want me to say to Miss Sid when I see her today? And one thing came very clear to my heart. I heard it as clear from God as I've ever heard before. God said to me, read to her Psalm 46 and Psalm 91. And so as I was talking with her and trying to answer her why question, I said, Miss Sid, would you mind if I read to you a little bit of the Bible? And she said, oh, yes, would you please do that? She said, would you read Psalm 91 to me? I said, yes, ma'am, I'll do that. But I also want to read to you Psalm 46. You see, Psalm 91 talks about how God is a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of trust to deliver us from painful circumstances. That was the psalm she needed to hear. What I didn't realize at the time was that Psalm 46 is a song, psalm that also talks about the storms of life. But its approach says, Be still in the storm. As the storms rage and the seas foam, be still and know that I am God. At her memorial service a few weeks ago, several people stood up to give a testimony of how she completely changed their life, how they, she brought them a step closer to Jesus. Testimony after testimony. I mean, this was a long memorial service, let me tell you. It was like nearly two hours long. And it wasn't because they were adding in a bunch of poems and songs. I mean, it was testimony after testimony after testimony of people just wanting to get up, needing to share how she had completely changed their lives. And drawn them closer to God. And apparently, after my first visit, I, never, I didn't know this at the time. But apparently after my visit, she never asked the why question anymore. <laughs> but one of, her, one of her closest friends stood up in the memorial service. This close friend who was in the hospital every single day she was there. This friend who was in hospice with her every single day she was in hospice. And every day that this friend visited... Miss Sid would do the exact same thing. She would look at her friend and say, did you bring your Bible? Would you read Psalm 46 to me again? In the end, I think Miss Sid got it. The pain of her falls never made her circumstances in life better by any means. But they did make her a better woman, fully trusting God through uncertainty and even pain until he graduated her from that broken body on August 15th. What if, guys, what if you and I, what if we strive to be like Miss Sid? What if we strive to be like my Uncle Tommy, like Johnny Erickson Tata, like Hagar today? Imagine how strong, how resilient, how inspirational we could be to others when we saw that pain didn't make us bitter, and when other people saw that pain didn't make us bitter, but that pain made us better people, people who fully trusted in God in the eye of the storm. Sometimes life deals us a bad hand. 
Sometimes circumstances come about in life and God didn't will it. God wasn't behind the scenes orchestrating it. It's just a fact that we live in a messed up, broken world. And in those moments, we have to know that God is good. In those moments, we have to know that we can trust in God, not with lip service on a Sunday morning, but every single day of our lives, fully believing that God is holding our hand and that God is making us, through the difficult circumstances in our life, through adversity, He is making us better people. Would you pray with me?